You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. The title of today's message is The Way of Peace. And if you just bow your heads with me now, I'd like to pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have come into the world, and thank you for what that means for us. So we pray that as we consider Christmas, as we sing these songs, as we read your word today, Lord, that you would truly impress upon us the significance for us as individuals uh, of what it means that you came into the world as a baby and, and that you grew up and you died on a cross and rose from the dead. Lord, would you impress this upon our hearts and let us leave here having been changed in our thinking and in our hearts. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I know we all have uh, Christmas traditions. You know, I was thinking about one of my favorite Christmas traditions this time of year. I like to walk up to people who are wearing uh, normal sweaters and ask them if that is an ugly Christmas sweater. I really mostly do that because somebody actually did that to me like two years ago. Somebody was like, hey, that sweater you're wearing is hilarious. I love this ugly Christmas sweater thing. And I was like, no, actually, this is just my normal sweater. So, uh, but you know, Christmas is an interesting time of the year because because Christmas is unique in this way, that at this time of year, there are things from the Bible, right, like people and places and, and themes from the Bible, concepts from the Bible, that work their way, find their way into our mainstream culture like no other time of the year. You know, this is uh, the time of year when that happens. So you walk into stores, for example, and you might hear Christmas music playing over the speakers, songs about Jesus. Uh, you can see decorations with nativity scenes and, you know, depictions of Jesus' birth, and you see things. Uh, Things mentioning Bethlehem or the star that led the wise men from the east on their journey to meet Jesus. Uh, the other day I was in my car and I turned the radio on to NPR and they were playing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel on NPR and I almost ran my car into a ditch. I was so surprised. Right? Uh, Saturday Night Live, for example, they had a great sketch about the birth of Jesus and about how exhausted Mary would have been as an infant. This is something I've always thought about. I'm like, I don't think it was so peaceful, right? Like, Because I've been around infants before and uh, you know you don't get any sleep and so they were depicting this at Mary you know she's probably so exhausted and yet she has to entertain this parade of guests coming through right you got shepherds and wise men and you know Mary's getting frustrated with Joseph because Joseph keeps letting people in the door and she has to take care of them and she's like you know our house is a mess we live in a barn like an actual barn like there is sheep poop on the floor I look terrible you know I haven't taken a shower in days I have hay in my hair I haven't slept I've been up all night with the baby you know and this was on mainstream tv and it's talking about jesus and it's touching on something which is very important to us as christians about christmas and that is that jesus came into this world and he didn't come in comfort and privilege but he came in humility in true humanity he came in poverty he came to normal people like you and me and so christmas is interesting in this way and that people are talking about and thinking about jesus and about the bible at this time of year more than any other time of the year and unlike any other time of the year but one of the things that's really interesting that I find interesting about the way that the Christmas story is often reenacted and retold in our culture is that there are two people who always get left out of the story and that's not really fair because in the Bible they're a really big part of the story their names are Zachariah and Elizabeth if you think about it, the wise men, right, they get a ton of airtime this time of year. We're always talking about them, singing about them. The shepherds, that we talk about them a lot. The angels get talked about. We never forget Jesus. He's the star of the show. And then we've got Mary and Joseph. We always talk about them too. But Zechariah and Elizabeth always seem to get omitted from the story in our culture. You know, we don't have any Christmas carols. 
singing about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They never get included in the Christmas TV special. They always get left out. Uh, they never find them in the nativity scene, if you buy a nativity scene. You know, yesterday I went to the store and I was looking at all these Christmas decorations that are now marked down. And uh, there's, there was a six-foot-tall Darth Vader holding a candy cane. And I'm like, I don't know what that has to do with Christmas, but why can't, you know, if we can get a six-foot-tall Darth Vader holding a candy cane, why can't I get like a pregnant Elizabeth or at least like a Zechariah action figure or something? And that's interesting because in the Christmas story in the Bible, they're front and center. They're a big part of it. The way the Bible tells the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke, it's a story of two couples. You have Mary and, and Joseph are the younger couple, and Elizabeth and Zechariah are the older couple. And Elizabeth and Zechariah are married, and Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married. Elizabeth and Mary are relatives, although there's an age difference between them. And what happens in this story is that an angel appears to, first to Zechariah and then to Mary and Joseph, and the angel tells Zechariah that even though his wife Elizabeth is older and barren, she's going to have a baby, and this child will be someone special. His name will be John. And then the angel appears to Mary and Joseph and then tells them that, you know, even though Mary's a virgin, she's going to have a baby, and that child will be someone very special, and his name will be Jesus. And so this story in the Bible is the story of two couples, two and two very special people, John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth. Their stories and their lives will be inextricably connected to each other from before they're even born. And both of these couples, they have a very similar reaction to receiving this news that they're going to have a baby. Zachariah and Mary both react immediately by being scared. When they first understand that they're gonna, this is going to happen, they respond by being scared. But as they come to comprehend what this all means and what is really going on, both of them shift from being scared to being full of joy and they both respond by singing. Last Sunday here at Whitefields, we looked at Mary's song, and today we're looking at Zechariah's song, this prophecy that he gave, which was actually in the form of a song. And singing is something that we do a lot at Christmas time. It's, uh, it's more than any other time of the year, really. We have Christmas concerts, recording artists put out special Christmas albums, and that's interesting. Because if you think about what singing is, it's really an interesting phenomenon. No one else in history has inspired so much music, so much singing, as Jesus Christ. Socrates, for example, lived uh, just before Jesus. He taught for 40 years, but his teachings never inspired any songs. They never inspired music. Plato, for example, he taught for 50 years, and his teachings were insightful, but they didn't cause the human soul to blossom and erupt in song. And yet Jesus, he only lived for 33 years, and only three of those years were spent teaching and doing ministry. And yet Jesus' teachings, his life, have inspired the souls of people like Raphael, Michelangelo. He inspired the hearts of Hayden and Handel and Bach to make beautiful music and beautiful art. So more songs have been sung about Jesus than about anyone else who ever lived in all of history. Now why is that? It's because singing is our human response. It is our expression of our deepest feelings and our most profound emotions. So whether it's happiness or sadness, singing is the expression of the things which move us deeply. That's why people sing about being in love. It's why mothers sing over their babies. And so what we have here is that we see that at the very first people who understood and received the Christmas message, how did they respond to it? They responded by singing. 
because they realized that God was doing something which touched their deepest longings and their deepest needs. And so as we look at Zechariah's song, what I want you to see is it shows us what is so special about Christmas and why Christmas matters more today now than ever before. The section begins actually in verse 57. So before where we started reading, it starts in verse 57, and this is what it says. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Then verse 58, it says that the neighbors and relatives all gathered around when they heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. And it says in verse 59 that the day came for the baby to be circumcised. So this would be the eighth day after a child's birth was the day when they were to be circumcised. And this was also the day when the parents would announce the baby's name. Now everyone there gathered, assumed that they would just follow the normal custom of that culture, which was to name the child after either the father or another male relative. But to everyone's surprise... Elizabeth says, no, that's not what we're going to do. She says, the boy's name is going to be John. And then Zechariah, he grabs a writing tablet, which is like a little chalkboard, and he writes on there, yes, his name will be John. That's the name which the angel had told them to name the baby because the name John, it means God is gracious. And that name would have profound significance in light of who John would become and what God was calling him to be. And, and so that brings up the question, now, why is Zechariah writing? Why doesn't he just nod or why doesn't he just say yes the child's name is going to be John why isn't he speaking and the reason is because earlier in this chapter earlier in this story when the angel appeared to Zechariah and told him that him and Elizabeth were going to have a baby we see that Zechariah didn't believe it at first he didn't believe it first of all but he also kind of talked back to the angel he got a little bit mouthy and Gabriel the angel was like hey I don't know who you think you are but I'm Gabriel like I came from heaven to tell you something from God like the only thing that you should be saying right now is thank you and so you know it's like mom and dad used to tell you right you've got two ears and one mouth you need to do a lot more listening than you do talking and so angel Gabriel says I'm going to help you do that and he says I'm going to make you mute you're not going to be able to speak until the time when your son is born so that's like eight nine months at this point and so uh here we are now, it's even eight days after John's birth. Zechariah still doesn't have his voice back. You kind of wonder, man, he's probably getting worried. Like, am I ever going to get my voice back? For nine months, Zechariah couldn't speak. Now, for Elizabeth, these are probably some of the best months of her life, right? Like, finally, her husband is actually just listening to her and not saying anything, not giving, him, giving her any advice, right? She's like doubly blessed because she's going to have a baby and her husband's actually listening to her for once in her life. This is like, she's like, actually, dreams do come true. And truly, this was probably also a very special time in the life of Zechariah. It was a time of listening, you know, I think we could all afford a, a time of listening. We live in a very distracted world with so many things vying for our attention. And so to have a time where you have no choice, you have to listen, was probably a very special time for Zechariah. It gave him the opportunity to consider and think about these things that the angel had said and to consider what all this was that was going along, going about around him. You know, for for this time. Who is this child I'm going to have? Who is this child and, and what is he going to be and what is the meaning of all of this? And so, you know, it says also here in Luke chapter 1 that during this time, Mary, the mother of Jesus, came and stayed with Zechariah and Elizabeth for three months. And so Zechariah not being able to speak, he would have had no choice but to sit and to listen to Mary as she told her story of how the angel had appeared to her and how she was going to have a baby. And the angel said that this baby was going to be the savior of the world, the Messiah, and his name would be Jesus, which means God saves. And Zechariah, he was a priest. We know that he was a priest. He served in the temple. That means that they lived in Jerusalem. And as a priest, he would have been familiar 
with the scriptures, with the Bible. And he would have had the opportunity during this time of silence to consider and to, to put all the pieces together and to say, what is this? What is going on? What does this all mean? And after nine months of silence, that's where we pick up the story right here. Zechariah finally gets his voice back. And what does he do? He sings. He's literally been waiting nine months to be able to get hit, to use his voice again, to be able to say he's realized this thing in the meantime, that God is doing this amazing thing, bringing the Savior into the world. And he's like, I finally get my voice back, and I'm going to sing. I'm going to raise my voice and praise to God for what he's doing. And it says in verse 67 that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he began to prophesy. And like I said, said, if you were to read this in the original text, you would see that this prophecy was in the form of a song. But what's interesting about this song that Zechariah sings is that it's on the day of his son's circumcision and naming, and yet he doesn't really sing about his son. He sings two, two verses, two lines. He mentions about his son, but the rest of the song is about Jesus, which is a little bit odd. If you went to a birthday party, and after everybody got done singing happy birthday to the birthday boy, the, the birthday boy's dad was like, hey everybody, and now I'd like to take this opportunity to sing you a little song I wrote about my son's cousin, right? That would be a little bit weird. But the reason why Zechariah did this is because he realized something about his son John. The reason that John will be great, he realized, is because John will be the one who will prepare the way for Mary's son, for Jesus. Zachariah's son, John, he's like the opening act at the concert. He's the warm-up band who gets the show started and gets people ready for the headliner, but he's not the headliner himself. Jesus is the headlining act. And so here in Zechariah's song, what we see are three reasons why Christmas is something to sing about. Three reasons why Christmas is something to sing about. The first is this, because Christmas means that God has visited us. Christmas means that God has visited us. He says in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and redeemed his people. This is why Christmas is such a big deal, because Christmas means that in the person of Jesus Christ, God has visited our world in order to redeem us. We call this, in theological words, we call this the incarnation. That means that the God of the universe became one of us. He took on human flesh. He lived a human life in order to save us. In verse 69, Zechariah goes on and he says, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now he's not talking about his own son, John, because they, as priests, they came from a different family. They came from the tribe of Levi, but Jesus came from the family of David. That's the royal family of Israel. And so when he says that he's talking about he's raised up for us a horn of salvation in the house of David, he's not talking about his own son. He's talking about Jesus, and he calls Jesus the horn of salvation. Now, a horn of salvation, what that refers to is the horn of a wild ox, and that was used as a symbol of strength and a symbol of victory in battle. And so the picture that's being painted here is that Jesus, in Jesus, God is coming to this world to fight for us, to fight on our behalf and win a battle for us that we cannot win on our own. And it's through his victory that we will be saved. And this leads us to the second reason why Christmas is something to sing about. Because Christmas means that God has met your greatest need. Christmas means God has met your greatest need. Throughout this song, Zechariah keeps talking about how God has saved us. He has come to rescue us and deliver us from our enemies. So who are these enemies that he's talking about? Is he talking about political enemies, military enemies, or is it just the people that you don't like or people who are not nice to you? He actually tells us who these enemies are by the end of the song. In verse 77, he says that God has come to save us from our sins. And then verse 79, he says that God has come to deliver us 
from darkness and from the shadow of death. These are the enemies that God has come to save us from, from our own sins and from the curse of sin, which is darkness and death. So throughout the Bible, these two words, darkness and death, they're always linked together. And in the same way, light and life are also linked together. So you have darkness also always associated with death, light associated with life. And what that tells us is that we who live on earth in these lives, we live under the shadow of death. Death is like a dark cloud which hangs over our lives. And we live our entire lives in the shadow of impending death. I mean, if you think about it, you have maybe a Christmas tree in your living room. Maybe you pay $50, $60 for that Christmas tree, and it looked nice when you brought it home. But no matter how much you water it, no matter how much you decorate it, pretty soon all the needles are going to fall off, and you're going to have to put it out on the curb to be taken out to the compost heap. And in a way, that's a picture of your life. That Christmas tree is a picture of your life. You start out looking pretty good, and then over time you have to decorate it more and more to keep it looking good. But no matter how hard you try, no matter how much work you put into it, eventually it's all going to fall apart and it's going to go out in the compost heap. Everything in this world is breaking down. Everything in this world is losing energy and falling apart, including each of us. We all live our lives in the shadow of death. Death is this inevitability which looms on the horizon for each of us. And there's absolutely nothing we can do to get, get around it or get away from it. And if that weren't bad enough... There's another problem, and that's the problem of our own sin, which he mentions here. Our, one of our greatest enemies is ourselves. That's why we always say that. You know, your greatest enemy is probably yourself. We have not lived up to what we even know are the right standards, that we know are God's standards, and therefore we know that we've brought judgment upon ourselves. And so our greatest need is for our sins to be forgiven. Our greatest need is for God to save us from this darkness that hangs over us like a cloud and which one day will swallow us whole. The good news of the gospel, the message of Christmas, is that God has done exactly that. He has met our greatest need in the person of Jesus. That's the very reason he has come. The Bible says this, that in him, that's in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. Christmas is the answer to the question, how much does God love you? How much does God love you? The answer is this, he loves you so much that he left heaven to save you. He loves you so much that he gave his life for you. He suffered the judgment that you and I deserve so that you and I could be forgiven and made right with God. The Bible says it in these terms that he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he has brought us into the kingdom of his glorious light. Notice what Zechariah says in verse 78. He says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Now, just stop right there. What will visit us from on high? The sunrise shall visit us on high to do what? To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Now, that's interesting because, remember, he started the song by talking about how in Jesus' coming is God visiting us. And now he says that the light which we need to break the darkness has come to us and visited us. The same word. In other words, here's what he's saying. The light which you need, the light which will save you from darkness and death, is a person, and his name is Jesus. This is what John's gospel tells us about Jesus. It says, in him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Later on in his life, Jesus would say this about himself. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Christmas is about how God has come into this world to meet your greatest need, to defeat the enemies of sin and death, and to bring you light and life forever. So the question is, how do you and I, how do we receive that gift? The Bible tells us this, that he, Jesus, he came into the world so that those who receive him, those who believe in his name, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. Christmas is that God became a child so that we could become children of God. And what that means is that when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, when you put your faith and your trust in who he is and what he did for you on the cross, you receive a completely new status before God. You are forgiven. He welcomes you as a beloved child. Instead of darkness and death, he gives you light and life forever. And when that happens, it leads us to the final thing that Zechariah sings about in this song. The third reason why Christmas is something to sing about is because this. Christmas sets our lives on a whole new path. Christmas sets our lives on a whole new path. Zechariah put it this way. He leads our feet into the way of peace. He leads our feet into the way of peace. It's a whole new way of living, a new approach to life, a new direction in life. The Bible says this, that therefore, since we have been justified by faith, now we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What it's talking about is this true inner peace, this true rest in the depth of your soul, which comes from knowing that you are right with God because of what Jesus did for you. That because of what Jesus did for you, the shadow of death no longer hangs over your life, but the light of life shines upon you. And when you experience that peace, it sets your life on a whole new path, a, a path, a different direction of pursuing God and loving people. Let me ask you this. What are you going to be left with after Christmas is over tomorrow? Tomorrow, after all the presents are unwrapped, after all the meals are over, after you've put away the decorations and, and put, up your, put your dried up Christmas tree out on the curb to be taken away, what, what are you going to be left with once Christmas is over? If you understand what Christmas is really about, then like Zachariah, you will have something to sing about even after the holiday is over. Christmas is about a new beginning. It's about a change that God works in your heart and in your life. Like Zechariah, when you understand who Jesus is, when you understand why Jesus came, what happens is it replaces your fears with joy. It replaces your fears with joy because you realize that God has visited you to meet your greatest need and to set your life on a whole new path. It's been said before that the chief mark of a Christian is the absence of fear and the presence of joy. Jesus said this, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And what that means is that Christmas doesn't have to end tomorrow. If you really understand what Christmas is about, if you embrace God's gift of salvation to you in Jesus, then Christmas is just the beginning. It's the beginning of a whole new path in life. To truly celebrate Christmas, in other words, means to follow Jesus. To walk with Jesus, these words follow, walk, they describe a journey. It's something that's ongoing. It's something that's continuous. Salvation is something that you receive in a moment when you believe. But it's something which sets your life on a whole new path. And if you will put your faith in Jesus today, he will be to you a horn of salvation. You will be joined to him and his victory over sin and death will save you. You'll be forgiven of your sins. You'll be made right with God. And that will set your life on a whole new path. The way of peace. Peace with God. Peace in your soul. And it will bring light and life into every area of your life.
So my prayer for you this Christmas is that you would experience this joy, this joy and peace which comes only through Jesus, which he alone can give you. He came to meet your greatest need. He came to set your life on a whole new path. And to really celebrate Christmas, to really appreciate Christmas, it means embracing Jesus as your Savior and following him as your Lord. So that's my prayer for us today, that God would set our feet on the way of peace. Amen? Lord God, we thank you. Thank you for the gift of Jesus, your son. Thank you, Lord, for coming to us. Thank you for taking on human flesh. Lord, thank you for the cross. And Lord, as we consider the manger, may we see in it the shadow of the cross. Lord, that you took on the shadow of death in order to bring light and life to us. Lord, we want to never forget this. And Lord, we pray that the knowledge of this would set our lives on a whole new path today. Lord, as we sing now about this glorious truth, Lord, may you truly fill us with the true Christmas spirit, the spirit of the knowledge of you. And, uh, and thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. May it change not only our Christmas holiday, but our lives from this day forward. May you lead us in the way of peace. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. 